Good morning. Big crowd again in this service. It was packed in the last service, full today. Have I told you lately that I love you? I love you guys. And welcome if you're joining us online or out in the pavilion under the cool mist out there. We're glad that you're joining us as well. As Julie said, good time to kind of download that outline if you're at home. We even included, yes, thank you for your faithfulness and giving. We included the financial snapshot on the uh, outline finally. Many of you have been asking for that. And again, I want to say thank you uh, for your faithfulness to, uh, uh, to continue to support God's work here. If you've got your program, if you don't mind turning that inside out, we're going to get to our outline pretty quick here. And you see I've got a zillion things to talk about. But before you do, um, on the back we've been talking about baptisms. We've been talking about getting back into the regular rhythm of baptisms. We have several people kind of in, in the queue waiting to get baptized. And we're going to do them all different. Uh, than we have in the past, and there's going to be some great news for those of you who've been a little bit nervous. Um, I want to introduce you to Heather Williams. I sat down with Heather on Thursday afternoon with her kids present, and I just kind of interviewed her. We recorded that, and uh, she talked about her testimony and a little bit about uh, what baptism means to her. So I invite you to the side screens or to watch online. Heather Williams today. Heather, thanks for joining me, and thank you for sharing your testimony before you get baptized. So how long have you been coming to Seminole Church? Well, I've been coming to Seminole Community now for about five years, on again, off again, and I really liked how you presented your sermons, and I really like the fill-in-the-blank notes because I'm able to use those um, when I go home and kind of look over them again. Um, but I never really went out of my way to develop any connections. I was one of those people that kind of ran out the door at mm-hmm. the end of the service. And it was mainly because whatever you were talking about seemed to hit home with me mm-hmm. at that time. And it was kind of painful. And I did not want to cry in front of people that I did not know. I can understand. So I ended up kind of drifting away from the church mm-hmm. because I felt uncomfortable. And then you said that prior to this whole COVID thing, God started working in your life, and you kind of felt a pull back, didn't you? Yes, I started feeling like something saying, go to church, go to church, go to church. But before I made it, I had this relational situation that just completely devastated Mm. me. And I hit rock bottom, and I feel like I'm still at rock bottom right now. But I immediately came back to church um, that Sunday, and you happened to be talking about the storms of life. So, again, perfect timing. Perfect timing. And this time, though, I met someone that I connected with, and she told me, no matter what, do not give up. Yeah. So then when I needed a friend, she went to lunch with me. She shared the Bible app that she Mm -hmm. was using herself, and we started doing Bible plans together. So we would read devotionals and scripture, and then we would discuss it afterward. And so what I found happening was that, I started really connecting with God, and I didn't turn on my television at night anymore. And that was kind of the most peaceful um, that I had been feeling when I started doing that. So then I started talking to the Bible about uh, with my children, and I found out that they had been praying. And I found out that my daughter was actually doing a Bible study with Way one to of go, her friends. Way to go, Naomi. Her kids are here with us, and they're going to watch the baptism. So that's cool how God uses people in our lives. Yes. <laughs> so you said, and when you wrote out your when you wrote out your testimony, you had said that what does baptism mean to you? So. Kind of the whole reason why I wanted to get baptized is because I realized that throughout my life, I haven't always lived my life the way that I should be. And so when I started reading the Bible and connecting with God, I just decided that I wanted to be obedient to God. And I wanted to give myself over to Jesus um, because he's the way to the Father. Mm -hmm. So 
the baptism for me is really symbolic of me giving up my old ways and my sins and coming up a new woman. And I want people to know that I'm a Christian and I want to be able to walk the walk and talk the talk. And I still have hope for my personal situation because I know that God performs miracles every single day. But no matter what happens in my situation or any other storms that are to follow, I also know that God is always going to be there for me and he'll be beside me. He's got your back. So baptism is our public profession of faith. That's exactly it. I want everybody to know I'm a Christian. And it has kind of two meanings. You hit on one of them. It's a picture of Christ's death and burial. When we go under the water, it's a picture of Christ's burial. And, of course, when we come up out of the water, it's a picture of Christ's resurrection. The second thing it is is exactly what you said. It's a picture of our old self dying. And when we come out of the water, the Bible actually says we're a new create a new creation. In fact, that's why we have our on our shirt it says raised to life. That's right from the scripture that we're buried with him in baptism and we're raised to life to walk with Christ. Ready to do it? Do it. Okay. In obedience to his command, I baptize you, my sister, Heather, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried in the likeness of his death, raised to new life to walk with Jesus. today uh, for being our guinea pig, the first COVID baptism that we've had. And um, if you want to be baptized, I'll sit down with you. You can bring whoever you want. We'll talk about it and we'll film the whole thing. Um, Heather made that look so easy, but I'm telling you, she was nervous. I don't know how they edited all of the nervousness out. It's like a filter they use or something. I don't know how that works, but um, she did say that if you... um, if you're like her and a little bit introverted or nervous about like being up on stage in front of all these people staring at you, it was so much easier than that. So if you've been kind of a little afraid but you've been waiting to be baptized, um, sign up to be baptized. We'll contact you. I'll sit down with you and we'll get the video crew together and we'll do the same kind of thing. I love that song. Heather requested that song. Uh, that song may be on all of our baptisms because, uh, um, yeah, it is like that. So that uh, was really good. That was that was. Uh, you know, that was so awesome to be a part of, but uh, I'm glad that we got to share it with you guys and, um, and we got to celebrate. All right. It's good to be back to doing baptism. So we have enough to do one, one or two a week. Uh, so those of you who are in line, we've got like three people lined up already. And uh, sign up and we'll, and we'll get with you on that. All right. As I said, we got a ton, a ton to dive into. We're talking about faith works. We've been in this study on James. Before we dive into, if you open up the outline, you see all the things we're going to be. I'm, I've got like 35 scriptures and 15 fill-ins. I'm so sorry. Uh, the first service survived. They listened really fast. So if you guys could listen fast too, it would be greatly appreciated. But nobody's coming in after you, so if we miss lunch, that's okay. I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. Um, before we dive in, though, I've been asking people to read the scripture every week, and I want to introduce you to a great friend of mine. Mallory is one of our 20-somethings. Uh, she's one of our, she's a college graduate. She serves, she's one of what we call our super volunteers around here. When you volunteer more than 10 or 12 hours a week, you become a super volunteer. Mallory is involved uh, in, in everything. You see her working uh, on Sunday mornings in our experience team, setting all uh, everything up around here, and Mallory is going to introduce herself, and she's also going to uh, to read our scripture from James today. 
Hey, SEC fam, it's Mel. I hope you guys are having a great day and a great week so far. I'm one of the young adult uh, leaders here and youth leaders here for Limitless and, and the Collective, and I'm here to share the scripture with you guys today. But first, I want to let you know how I got started in Seminole Community Church. It was actually funny because I was looking for a church to get plugged in at, looking for a place to call home, and two friends from senior year of high school invited me. They were like, just come. You'll enjoy it. It'll be fun. If you don't like it, you don't have to come back. But I came, and I absolutely fell in love with it. The worship was amazing and then community afterwards like just getting donuts and coffee and having all the people just come up to me and ask me how are you who are you what are you doing how'd you get plugged in like what do you do like all that stuff it was just like awesome just to know that I have a home place to call home and um a place that I can just be here and just be me um and then fast forward five years later, it's been history ever since, really. Like I said, I'm, I'm a youth leader for Limitless. Um, I serve here Sunday mornings in the experience team, and then I'm also a young adult leader for The Collective, which is our young adult service. And it's, it's actually starting back up today at 7 p.m. So if you're a young adult and you want to get plugged in, come to The Collective. This is your invitation for The Collective tonight at 7 p.m. Um, as for that, it's been a huge blessing to be a part of Seminole Community Church, a huge blessing to see what God has done through the youth and just through our church as a whole um and it's going to be amazing to see what he's going to do in the future so as for what we're here for let's read the scripture let's get into it so james chapter 2 verses 1 through 9 says my dear brothers and sisters how can you claim to have faith in our glorious lord jesus christ if you favor some people over others for example suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes if you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person but you say to the poor one you can stand over there or else sit on the floor well doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives listen to me dear brothers and sisters hasn't god chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him but you dishonor the poor isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slandered Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed. It is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Thank you, Mallory. Like I said, she is one of our volunteers here. She's always, always on campus serving and she loves Jesus so much and loves people, loves God and loves people. That's what we're about around here. So glad that you got a chance to meet her. I think she's probably, she's at almost every service. If you get a chance to see her, give her a hug or at least an elbow bump or whatever it is that, uh, that we're allowed to do right now. Um, you know, we've all been under this COVID environment now. It's been like five months, hasn't it? And we've all experienced the stress, both financially and relationally, and there's no toilet paper. Finally, they're caught up on that. Um, And I don't know if you realize it, but stress tends to bring out the worst in us. And as this pandemic has gone on and on and on and on, we're not always at our best, we become maybe more irritable. Anybody want to say amen, right? Or anybody want to point to somebody? I know. Um, we can snap at people. We can become even more impatient or intolerant. And we become more self-centered the more stress we're under, protecting ourselves. And also when people are in a crisis, they often look towards a, for a scapegoat to blame all of the feelings and circumstances that don't have a place to land, we'd like to blame it on, it's got to be somebody's fault. And we become more and more wary and sometimes even fearful of people who maybe are not like ourselves. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but when we're under a lot of stress, our natural biases seem to bubble to the top. And seem to rise. They seem to be more prevalent in our lives. When we're under tension, we're a lot less tolerant of differences among us. In fact, people are just more prejudiced toward other people. The Bible calls this self-centeredness, even this sinful bias, the Bible calls this 
the sin of partiality. It's not a sin that we talk about very often, the sin of partiality today. We just kind of call it prejudice or we call it discrimination or we call it even bigotry. And it's not surprising that as we've been under this COVID-19 pandemic situation for so, so long, that racial and cultural tensions have actually increased to a level most of us have never seen before. And people are on edge in these areas, and they're stressed out. Just look at your social media feeds, right? So today as we're looking at how to develop a faith that works, a faith that can change everything in our life, Really, James has been given us principles of living under a crisis. How to live under a crisis it even applies to a pandemic. And I want us to consider today how to treat people right. How to treat all people right. How to treat all people right, especially those who are different from me. And this is a sin that we don't hear people talk about very often, but it's everywhere. It's very common. It's, the Bible calls it the sin of partiality, and you're like, we're thinking, what is that? Well, I've given you a definition on your screens there. It's also in your outline if you'll grab a pen and fill these out. The sin of partiality is showing favoritism and bias towards some people and showing prejudice and bias against other people. Favoritism and bias towards some, prejudice and bias against others. Now, I know what we're thinking. You're thinking to yourself, well, Jerry, wait, 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 wait. I'm not prejudiced, and I'm certainly not a racist. I know. But I want us to consider some of the subtle ways that we might show partiality, this sin of partiality. Maybe not even racially. But let me ask ourselves some questions. Let's ask ourselves some questions. Are we quick to judge people who maybe have a different hairstyle than we do? Maybe we look at that and we go, oh, that's weird. Are we quick to pigeonhole people or some people, summarize people because of the piercings that they have that maybe we don't have or approve of? How about people who are fat or people who are skinny? We just have a little bit of bias toward them or against them? Or how about people who dress in a different way than we dress? We don't know where they buy their clothes. You know, did you make that? You know, and, and we have, we judge people, prejudge people based on how they dress. What about people, what about people who have a different religion than we have? What if they're immigrants? What about people who are younger than us or people who are older than us? By the way, I don't know if you realize it, but no matter what age you are, there are people younger than you. And there are people older than you. In most cases, we had a couple 80-year-olds in the first service. There's still people older than them. What about, these are subtle biases that creep into our life. What about people who make more money than you do? Or people who make less money than you do? We look down on them. By the way, no matter what your socioeconomic income level is, there are people in this world that make more money than you do. And there are often people that make a lot less money than you do. It's the sin of partiality, and it's a big deal to God. And because it's such a big deal to God, it should be a big deal to us, too. Deuteronomy 10.17 says, God does not show partiality, and he does not accept bribes. That's all the way back to the law, the first five books of the Bible, Deuteronomy. God does not show partiality, does not accept bribes. What does that mean? It means that God is never unfair. God is never unjust. God is never prejudiced. Second Chronicles 19.7, The Lord our God does not tolerate perverted justice, partiality, or the taking of bribes. Circle the word partiality there. It says God doesn't tolerate partiality or injustice or corruption. Corruption equals the, the taking of the accepting of bribes. God doesn't, and we shouldn't either. Why? Because all three are unfair, all three are dishonest, all three are unloving, 
and they are the opposite of the character of God. They're the opposite of integrity, humility, and generosity. So we've been studying this book of James, James, the half-brother of Jesus, and I told you that I like James because James is so practical. He's going to give us a practical advice about how to have a faith that works, a faith that can change everything. But I warned you, remember when I warned you that James is a little blunt, that James can actually kind of get in your face and you kind of step back and like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And this is one of those days that James confronts selfishness and prejudice in, in this area that rises out of that called the sin of partiality. And he hits these issues of bigotry and partiality head on, kind of in your face. And he starts in verse 1 of James chapter 2, the same thing that Mallory read you. It says, I've included it on your outline so you can have it there. It'll also be on the side screens. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our Lord, in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, if you favor some people over others? So James is questioning your Christianity. He said, how can you even call yourself a Christian if you participate in the sin of partiality? Whoa, that's in our face. Verse 2, for, for example... Suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and distressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and the good seat to the rich person, I can see me, my, me doing that. But you say to the poor, you stand over there or else sit on the floor. Well, that's kind of harsh. In verse 4, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guarded by evil motives? Oh, yeah. And listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed. It is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. We've talked about that. That's the great commandment. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin and you are guilty of breaking the law. So this is pretty clear. It gives us a clear example of economic prejudice, favoring the guy who has money and not favoring the person who has no money. Pretty clear. So what does God say all through his word about why he hates prejudice so much. Why is this a big deal to God, and why should it be a big deal to us as children of God? Well, let me just give you four reasons. Four reasons why God hates prejudice. And you can see in all of our lives there's a tendency for this to creep in. And we've got to watch out for this. Number one, number one reason God hates prejudice is prejudice questions God's creation. Prejudice questions God's creation. Let me let you in on a secret. It was God's idea to create us all different. I don't know if you realize that. Secret's out. It was God's idea. He thought up race. Race was God's idea. He thought up gender. Gender was God's idea. He thought of making us all different shapes and sizes. How boring the world would be if everyone looked like me. Can you imagine if you look like me? Some of you are going, oh my gosh, that's my worst. Not. You know, I don't even like to look like me most days. Okay? So if we all look like Jerry, what a weird world that would be. And before you, before you go, oh yeah, that's right. It would be the same if it looked like you. If we all look like you, it would be just as weird, just in a different way. We are much more interesting when we are around people who are different from us. You see, a prejudiced person, a racist, a bigot, is essentially saying, God, you made a mistake when you created everybody Different. When you made all these different kinds of people, God, you made a mistake. You made a big mistake, God, when you made all these varieties. You should have made everybody just like me. I mean, man, that sounds so 
so arrogant and so prideful. It's like pride, arrogance, conceit, and narcissism all wrapped up in one. It makes you uncomfortable if someone were to say that to God. When, when I reject what God's created, I'm basically saying, God, you don't know what you're doing. I'm a lot smarter than you. I would have made everybody like me. I wouldn't have created all these people different. Acts chapter 17 Verse 26 says, from one man, that's Adam, from one man, he, God, created all the nations throughout the earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. So, let's be clear. God made Italians to be Italian. And praise God, I love Italians. Y'all have the best food on the planet, okay? God made Italians to be Italians. God made Middle Easterners to be Middle Eastern. God made Asians to be Asian. God made Africans to be African. The fact is, God loves diversity. Just look around this room, and there's plenty of diversity. God could have made us all the same. It might have even been easier for him to make us all the same. But he didn't. He purposely made us all different. And any time I think less of God's creation, including the people that he's created, I've forgotten who has made me. 1 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul writes and says, Who made you superior to others? Didn't God give you everything you have? Well then, how can you boast as if what you have were not a gift? You see, ultimately... We are all part of the human race. There is no real race issue here. There's only one race, the human race. And it's the only race that matters. So prejudice is a rejection of God's creation. The second thing, the second reason why God hates prejudice, is pre prejudice is a sign of ignorance. What this means is, I don't really know what I'm talking about when I'm being prejudiced. I'm revealing my foolishness. We talk a lot in the Bible, God's Word in Proverbs and in James and other places talks about wisdom. In fact, James says, if you want wisdom, ask God for it. God gives us wisdom. We've talked about that. He talks about wisdom and the opposite of wisdom or the antithesis of wisdom. The opposite of wisdom is foolishness, stupidity, ignorance. These are kind of in-your-face terms. So James, God, in several places, he starts talking about either be wise. If you're not wise, then you're a fool. You're foolish. If you're not wise, then you're, you're stupid. That's a harsh word, you know. If you're not wise, you're ignorant kind of a thing. So this is what he says. He says, if I don't understand why God has made people differently, and I don't understand his plan, and I don't understand his purpose, I don't understand God's people. He says, you're not being wise, you're being the opposite of that. Look what it says. It says in 1 John 2.11, but anyone who hates his fellow believer is still living and walking in darkness. It's like you're blind. Such a person doesn't know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. Anytime I show favoritism, I show prejudice, God says, you're walking around like you're blind, like you're in darkness. On the other hand, James 317. Now, we'll get into James chapter 3 in a couple of weeks. I'll give you a little teaser here. It says, but the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism, circled no favoritism, and is always sincere. We can't call ourselves wise if we think people are less or more than us, because we're all the same. Freeing ourselves from this prejudice that creeps into all of our lives, freeing ourselves from this prejudice is a mark of wisdom, God says. You see, knowledge shows up on tests. We can, we can measure your knowledge with a standardized test. Knowledge shows up on tests, but wisdom shows up in relationships. When I have a relationship where I treat you as less than me, less than you deserve to be treated, God's saying, Jerry, you're being foolish. You're being a fool, ignorant, 
even stupid. Those are some harsh, harsh words. But I'm not being wise. Third thing, third reason why God hates prejudice. And this is a big one. Because prejudice disobeys the great commandment. The great commandment. You know, Jesus said, was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I told you, love your neighbor as yourself is found about nine different times in the New Testament. One of the times, he calls it the royal law here in James. And it says, you're only showing your, you're not just showing your ignorance, you're not just showing your rejection of God's creation, but you're disobeying the great commandment. Paul repeats the great commandment in Galatians 5, 14, 15, for the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself, just like James says it, just like Matthew, Mark, Luke also write it. It says, love your neighbor as yourself, but if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out, beware of destroying one another. And that's why I wanted to read this version of it, because this is what we see happening in America, in our society today, even within the church, devouring and destroying one another. He says, watch out, you're going to destroy yourselves. We are living in a time right now where there is more division than there ever has been before. There is more partisanship than there ever has been before. There are more angry words than ever before, more division in our society than any other time that I know of. He says, you're just tearing yourselves apart. This is what we see across our social media feeds hour by hour. It's interesting that when Jesus gave the Pharisees this great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, the Pharisees, they came with a follow-up question. The Pharisees are like, okay, 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 love your neighbor as yourself. We, we hear what you're saying. It's the most important command next to loving the Lord our God, which is one with all our hearts, all our mind. So they come up with a follow-up and says, so, 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 so who's our neighbor then? And they were asking the question, because they didn't want to have to love everybody. They're saying, so do I just have to love my neighbor on the, on the right and on the left and the one across the street? What about those people behind me? I don't really know them that much. They, they, they go down a different... And Jesus answers their question of, well, who's my neighbor then? By telling them the story. Do you know what story he tells them? The story of the Good Samaritan. In the story of the Good Samaritan, you'll remember, is a story about racial reconciliation. Because the Samaritan, the hero of the story, the Samaritan is a hated minority in the Jewish culture. In fact, the Jews hated the Samaritans, and the Samaritans hated the Jews. And Jesus tells this story. He says, okay, if you want to know what neighbor to love or how to love your neighbor, he tells this story and basically says, here's what you need to do. You need to treat everybody, especially people who are different than you, with respect. And you need to treat everyone with love, especially those who are culturally and racially different than you. That's how you love your neighbor, which is, by the way, the great commandment. Second only to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And as I read the scripture more and more, I'm absolutely convinced that the church, the family of God, the children of God, the body of Christ, is the answer to racism and sexism and economic prejudice and every other kind of prejudice in our society. We're going to talk about the church's role in just a second. There's a fourth reason why the Bible says I should not give in to the sin of partiality. And it's because, number four, prejudice is a serious sin. Prejudice is a serious sin. It's not some sin that God kind of winks at. The Bible says it ticks God off. and makes him mad. Remember the earlier verse I read from Second Chronicles 19.7? The Lord our God does not tolerate perverted justice, partiality, or the taking of bribes. And then in James 2, 9, the last verse that we read at the beginning says, But if you favor someone, some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. Now, that's pretty clear. Do you know what? 
If we were to travel around the world, I think there's something like 192, 194, maybe 196 countries on this planet. If we were to go country to country to country, do you know what conclusion we would inevitably come to? We would come to the conclusion that prejudice, particularly racial prejudice, may be the world's most prevalent sin. It's committed everywhere in every country because no matter where you go in the world, there's somebody who doesn't like somebody else, and that somebody else doesn't like them either. It's the Hatfields and McCoys in every single country. The northern people in this country, they don't like the southern people. And the southern people in this country, they don't like the northern people. The people on this side of a mountain range, this tribe on this side of a mountain range, they're mad at war and fighting with the tribe on this side of the mountain. The light-skinned group in this area and the dark-skinned group in this area, they're at each other's throats all the time. They can't stand each other. You can find it anywhere. You can find it everywhere. It's not going to leave us on its own. Everybody has a prejudice. Everybody is looking for a scapegoat. The racial reconciliation and getting this out of our hearts is not just some minor issue, and it creeps into all of us, even those of us who are believers. And it's at the heart of the gospel, by the way, because racism isn't a problem of sin. Racism is. Racism is a problem of sin, not of skin. It's not a problem of skin. It's a problem of sin. We fill that in. Racism is a problem of sin, not of skin. It's not a skin problem. It's a sin problem. And this sin, the Bible says, we'll all give an account one day to God. In Romans, Paul writes to the Romans, and he writes in Romans 14, why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we all stand before the judgment seat of God. And it's not just talking about racial judgment. It's talking about economic judgment, how they look, how they talk, their accent, where they're from. Why do you judge your brother, and why do you think you're better than him? That's the theme. Why in the world would you think you're better than them when you didn't pick any of this? God gave them to you. See, the problem is every one of us grew up being raised to distrust what is different. That's just how we're raised, being being different just means it's different. But we naturally feel more comfortable with people who are like us, who think like us, who vote like us, who look like us. I mean, it, it, even in sports, us, we Dolphin fans stick together, okay? I'm more comfortable with a whole bunch of Finn fans, right? I get them much more than a Jet fan or a Patriot fan. I'm just kidding around. Some of my best friends, Steeler fan, Jet fan, Patriot. Some of my best friends don't root for the Dolphins. I'm working on them. <laughs> we tend to gravitate towards people who think like us, right? But we have more in common. We have more in common with believers who don't look like us, aren't of the same race, don't root for our team, don't vote the same way we vote. We have more in common with them than the people in our little groups. It's just human nature. So how do we root out this sin of partiality, this sin of prejudice, racism, bigotry, having ideas of favoring certain groups and being opposed to other groups? How do we root that out? Well, this is a very complex issue. Obviously. And not one single sermon is not going to solve everything for you in your life. But it can get us thinking. It can get us thinking. And I could easily give you a dozen steps, 12 steps to work on this. But let me just give you one action step. One action step to take home this week to work on for the rest of this month and maybe for the rest of this year. Individually, What's the one thing I can do? And then we'll talk about the church's role. What is the one thing, simple action step, to help me be a little less biased 
a little less prejudice to people who are different than us, whether it's religion, whether it's race, whether it's economics, whether it's any other thing. Here's the key. You write this down. We must learn to see people as God sees them. We must learn to see people not as we see them, not as our friends see them, but as God sees them. Look at people the way God. Now, I don't do this naturally. You don't do this naturally. We, we have to learn it, but we can learn it. And we're going to need to ask God for help. How do I learn to see people the way God sees them? Well, I start by asking God to help me see people. So you've got to make this part of your prayer life for the next week, two weeks, the next four and a half months of 2020. Will you say, God, help me to see people the way you see them? How does God see them? What does that look like? Glad you asked. I'll give you three ways. 1 Samuel 16, 7. The Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So I want you to write this down. We've got to look at the heart. We've got to look at the heart. Studies have shown that people tend to judge us. They make a judgment of us in the first 30 seconds when they meet us. They judge us by our appearance. They judge us by our behavior. Within 30 seconds, they've made a, a judgment whether they like you or not. Not only are books judged by their covers, not only are homes judged by their curb appeal, but people are judged by how they look, how they dress, how they speak, how they behave. Jesus said in John seven twenty four, stop judging by mere appearances but instead judge correctly. So that's the second thing. Stop judging on mere appearance. Will you fill that in? Stop judging on mere appearance and judge correctly, he says. Don't, don't be shallow. Learn to see people the way God sees them. Now, the Bible is full of bad examples of this. The Bible is full of examples of people who had racial prejudice and cultural prejudice. If you go back and you read the book of Jonah the Old Testament prophet Jonah. The whole story is about racial prejudice. Jonah, he hates the Ninevites so much, God says, I want you to go preach to the Ninevites. Jonah's like, no, 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 anywhere but there. I don't want to go preach to them. I don't want, to, I don't want them to come to the kingdom of God. So he jumps in a ship and he runs from God. And, of course, God causes a storm. They throw him overboard. Is a fish. He ends up going to Nineveh. Okay, I'll go tell him, but I don't have to like this. And he doesn't like these people. And he shares the gospel. He shares the kingdom of God with them. And they repent. And then he's really mad. Oh, no, they repented. You know, he doesn't want them to have God in their life. He wants, you know, the whole story is that. You look at the, the disciple Peter, one of the greatest disciples. But he had to overcome huge prejudice against non-Jews for the gospel to spread to the Gentiles, which is most of us. As a strict Jew, Peter, it was against the law for him to go into the house or even touch a non-Jew. God had to give Peter a dream. And in the dream, God speaks to Peter, and Peter overcomes his prejudice and God gives him this dream so that the gospel could move into the Gentiles. He goes to a, the house of a guy named Cornelius who was a non-Jew. He was a Roman. And he goes there. That was even illegal for, illegal for a Jew to, to go into his house those days. And in Acts 10 verse 28 it says, Peter told them, You know it's against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home. Man, that's kind of prejudice. Like this, or associate with you. But God has shown me. I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. Wow, that's 2,000 years ago. God showed that to Peter, that no race is inferior or unclean. Has God gotten that message through to us yet? Acts 10, 34, 35, it's just a few verses down. It says, Peter then said, Now I am certain that God treats all people alike. God is pleased with everyone who worships him and does right, no matter what nation they come from. So I'm going to ask us this week to start asking God to help us to see people differently. To look at that teenager on your block differently. To look at the, those people who dress differently those strange clothes, in your opinion, or that hairdo, or the number of tattoos they have, or where they have those tattoos, or whatever. 
Look at them the way God looks at them. See them the way God sees them. And you're going to have to ask for his help in that. The second thing we've got to do is we've got to be a part of God's plan to bring people together through the church. How do we, how does SCC become a loving church? Because God stated, Jesus stated, this is how they'll know you're my disciples. Not by the songs you sing, not by the buildings you build, not by the clothes you wear. He said, this is how they'll know you're my disciples, by the love you have for one another. How do we become a loving church? Because it's love that reaches people. We don't argue people into the kingdom of God. We don't lawyer people into the kingdom of God. No, no offense, attorneys. We love them into the kingdom of God. We love them. How do we do that? Well, three steps. First of all, first of all we accept everybody. We accept everybody. Have you ever been in a church of spiritual snobs? Well, we've got it and you don't. I don't even know how to act like a snob. They would go, yeah, you can't even imitate us. Do you know why people have a hard time accepting others? They confuse acceptance with approval. There's a big difference between acceptance and affirmation or approval. We can accept someone without approving their lifestyle. We can accept them and love them for who they are without agreeing with what they do. There's a difference between who they are, God loves them, he's never met a person he didn't love, like Kristen said, and what they do. And they get confused with that. They may be doing something totally contrary to the word of God, and you may have memorized all the verses about how bad it is. Loving and accepting them is you don't hit them over the head with those verses as soon as they walk in the door. Because you're against what they do. Your job, our job is not to be against what people do. Our job is to accept them where they are and love them. Hard enough. Don't take my word for this. Romans 15, 17. Accept one another just as Christ has accepted you. That's the start. Acceptance. At SCC, we try to cultivate an attitude of acceptance. Because our church, this church, is a hospital for sinners not a hotel for saints. So let me just be a little like James and say it bluntly. If you're perfect, you're not welcome here. Can I say it that bluntly? I'm not as blunt as him. I'll hold your hand a little bit. If you're perfect, you don't belong here. This is a church where people are growing. So if you want to grow, even if you're not a believer yet, but you want to grow to be like Jesus, that's what we're all about here. We're all trying to grow to be like Jesus, our Savior. If you're not a Christ follower yet, but you still are open to growing to be like Jesus. Now, if you come in here and go, well, I don't want to, I, I don't want to grow like, to be like Jesus. What am I even here for? I don't even know why I'm here. Exactly. I'm telling you why you're here. God brought you here because he wants you to grow to be like Jesus. That's why you're here. And we accept you, even if you don't follow Christ yet. We've had people from every kind of background you can imagine in this church. We've had Catholics and Charismatics, Jews, Buddhists, Baptists, Presbyterians, Episcopalians, Mormons, Lutherans, Muslims, Pentecost, Hindus, agnostics, and atheists. And they may all be here today. It doesn't matter where you've been. What matters is where are you now and what direction are you headed? Do you know Jesus as your Savior or not? That's what matters. And if you want to grow up to be more like him, you're welcome here. Here's how we say it in our new member class. If you haven't taken the new member class, membership matters. Is we're going to offer that second weekend of September. Here's how we say it. In the essentials, we have unity. What are the essentials? Jesus is Lord. The Bible is God's word. Salvation is by forgiveness through grace. In the essentials, we have liberty. In, in the essentials, we have unity. In the non-essentials, we have liberty. And in all things, we show charity or love. Acceptance is the key. Now, I think some people aren't going to like heaven. Some people... They're going to get to heaven and they're going, I don't like this place. That's not exclusive enough. They let everybody in here. Exactly. If we can't learn to get together as the body, get along together as the body of Christ here on earth, 
what makes us think we're going to get along in heaven, accept everybody, then second, we appreciate everybody. This goes a little bit further than acceptance. Philippians 2, 3, and 5 says, don't be selfish, don't, don't try to impress others, be humble, thinking of others better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Appreciate everybody. Find something you like about them. Not just accept them, but find something you like and tell them so. Now, this may, for some people, it might take a little, require some creativity. You're like, hmm, um, you know, you could, you could at least celebrate their uniqueness. Maybe you need to get to know them to see some things that you can appreciate. Because just like Baskin Robbins, God, God has given us like 31 different flavors. You know, 31 different personalities, 31 different kinds of people. What a boring church it would be if it was just all plain vanilla, right? I mean, I like vanilla. I love vanilla, but not every day, right? So God loves variety. And then the last one is we encourage everybody. Give everybody a lift whenever you can. We accept everybody. We appreciate everybody. We encourage everybody. That's how we love people into the kingdom. First Thessalonians 5:11 so encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. When in, in other words when people stumble don't criticize. When people stumble instead sympathize. Be an encourager not a complainer. Be an encourager not a condemner, not a critical person, not a judger. You can encourage people just by smiling at them. Now, I know it's harder with a mask on. So you have to smile real big with your eyes. You know, people are like, you okay? I'm smiling. You know, get a shield like I got. This is why the ministry of greeting is so important in our church. I would love to have a campus full of people who love Jesus and their faces show it. Give people, you can't give them a hug right now, but you can give them a wave and an elbow, you know, and a smile. So what is James saying? James is saying that the church that accepts, appreciates, and encourages people is a church that God blesses. Absolutely nothing can stop a church that's filled with love. But it doesn't happen accidentally. It requires an all-out effort by all of us. Everybody needs to contribute to the atmosphere of love in our church. In fact, some of you, your testimony later, when I say, how did you find someone who... Some people say this, they say, we, when we got out of the car, we knew this was our home. We knew this place was different. And you're like, how did you even know? You hadn't heard any singing, hadn't heard any preaching. He says, yeah, we knew it was, no matter how bad the preaching was, Jerry, we knew this was going to be our place. How did you know that? It's because when the, when the love of the Spirit is here, and these people love each other, you can tell it's different, and it goes all the way out to Orange Boulevard. You don't even have it was weird. It was, doo, 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 doo. you know, it was one of those things. We just knew it was here. That's because when you have a church that loves people, you can sense it in your spirit when you get here. But everybody has to contribute to that. It's the family of God. We're called to model, as a church, we're called to model unity and reconciliation in a world. So the rest of the world looks at us and goes, man, why are they so nice to people? Why are they so, why are they so loving? Why are they so positive all the time? You know, oh, they're a Christian. Yeah, I forgot. They're looking at your Facebook feed and they're going, why is this guy so nice? I mean, he's not a jerk. In fact, even to the jerks, he's, he's nice to the jerks. That's what it's called, being the church. Loving and bringing people together. Paul explains it, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 27. Some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles, some of us are slaves, and some of us are free. But we've all been baptized in the one body by one spirit, just like Heather was. And we're all the same spirit, all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you are a part of it. Did you know you are needed in the body of Christ? You're needed in the family of God. You're needed in your church home. We all have different gifts and talents. Even those of you who are still at home and you haven't been able to come back yet because of health reasons, because you've got other people in your life that you don't want to expose, and you're like, how can I help? I can't even come. That's why we started the whole Care Callers ministry. We started a whole ministry just for you. And I know there's other people who are like, you're, you're in 10 different ministries. You're like, I want to call, I want to call. I'm like, no, 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 this isn't for you, but I want to call, I want to call. No, we want to make this so that those of you who are at home can make some phone calls and can connect with people and tell them we love them. Second thing is we can't model reconciliation by ourselves. I mean, it's easy to love people like us. 
You know how God teaches you how to love people? He doesn't put you with people like you. That's what people think. God, I want to learn how to love people. Give me ten loving people to love. That's not how it works. You see, when God wants to teach you how to be a loving person, he puts you around some unlovable people. Now, if you would say to me, Jerry, I don't have any unlovable people in my life. I hate to break it to you. You're the hard-to-love person. God is teaching us to be lovable by giving us you. So even you, unlovable, hard-to-love types, grouches, you're even welcome here. We need practice. Come on. All right, one last thing. One last thing. Our, you should write this somewhere. There wasn't any room. Our identity, we find our identity in relationships. That's what I want you to write down. We find our identity in relationships. Our world is fracturing more and more in so many different directions and divisions. The world is at a crisis of identity right now. Probably the most common crisis in the modern culture. People are going, I don't know who I am. Who am I? What am I? What gender am I? What sexual orientation am I? And what kind of person am I? What culture am I? What race am I? And we see literally everywhere in race, sexuality, and gender, people are so confused. What's my place in the world? Why? Why has this happened? Because when relationships break, when relationships are broken, people don't know who they are. And when our relationship with God is broken, we don't know who we are. So what God says in the next verse is so important. It's probably one of the most radical statements you've, you've ever heard. It says, this is Galatians 3. For you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. All of you have been united with Christ in baptism and put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile or slave or free or even male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Whoa, 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 whoa. What? What is he saying? Let me ask you a question. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you been adopted in God's family? Are you able to sing like we are? I am a child of God. Well, if you are a child of God, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you are in God's family, then I'm here to tell you that your primary, your primary identity is not your nationality. I'm an American. Your primary identity is not your economic status. Well, I'm wealthy, I'm poor. Your primary identity is not even your race. Your primary identity is not even your gender, well, you're, whether you're a man or a woman. And certainly not your political party, although we wouldn't know that by some of our Facebook feeds. The Bible says, if I've been saved, then my primary identity, the only one that counts, is that I belong to God's family. So when I'm asked to describe myself, I, I, I don't first say, well, I'm a white, older American male. No. If I'm truly being biblical, that has nothing to do with it. When I describe myself, I say, I'm a child of God. I'm in God's family. So when I wake up in the morning, and I'm not thinking to myself, well, I'm, a, I'm an old, white, fat guy. I wake up and I say, I'm a child of God. And I'm in the family of God. Everything else doesn't even matter. Colossians 3.11 says, in this new life, it doesn't matter. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. God says it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric and civilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters. And he lives in us, in all of us. So whether a person has Christ is what matters. And Jesus is available to everyone. That, my friend, is the radical foundation of racial reconciliation that only the injustice that was done to Christ 2,000 years ago is powerful enough to stop the injustice in our world today. Now, I want to lead some prayer in a second. Because he says Jesus is available to all. If you're not in the family of God, if you've never received Christ, I'm going to give you the opportunity to pray and to do that. But I want to say something to those of you who've been mistreated, unjustly treated because of your race, because of your gender, because of your age, because 
of your socioeconomic status, I want you to know that you have a Savior who knows what it's like to be unjustly treated. And I want you to know you are welcomed and wanted in the family of God. And specifically, you are welcome and wanted in our family of God here at Seminole Community Church. You're welcome and you're wanted, not just accepted. Seminole Church can become your church home. So let's bow our heads and let's talk to our Heavenly Father. And I want to, Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for the people who've listened to this message who are now. I ask you to hear their prayers as they pray. Now, why don't you pray a simple prayer? All of us can pray this and say, Jesus Christ, thank you for making me who you made me to be. Just say that. Jesus Christ, thank you for making me who you made me to be. You chose my race. You chose my parents. You chose my nationality. You chose my gender. I had nothing to do with any of these And you made me to be me. Help me to not be proud of who I am. But to be grateful that you have made me who I am. Thank you for loving me. We can all pray that. Thank you for loving me. And thank you for dying on the cross for me. Now, if you've never accepted him into your life, but you want to as a Savior, you make this your prayer. Say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. And thank you for dying on the cross for me. As much as I know how, I ask you into my life right now. I want to begin a relationship of love with you. And a life of purpose and a life of meaning. As much as I know how, I ask you to come into my life and save me. Because I need a Savior. And I want to follow you from this day forward for the rest of my life. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Help us to accept everyone to love everyone, to realize we are your children. In Christ's name we pray.